0: Hey, what's going on? It is At The Letters with Arden Zwelling and Ben Nicholson-Smith for Thursday, May 21st. Ben,
1: how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Still at home in quarantine, of course. But it's amazing how even as things are pretty much the same within my condo, you start to look around and follow the news around Major League Baseball. And, you know, all of a sudden we're maybe weeks away from some sort of spring training resuming, which is pretty crazy.
0: So are we? That's my question, Ben. Let's just get straight into baseball this week. Everybody's in quarantine. We We get it. People get it. Are we really weeks away from there being baseball again? There's a real ticking clock on this thing if you're MLB and you want to get things going on July 1 you need so like a three week spring training ahead of that because players have been off for a pretty long while and then even ahead of that three week spring training you need like a week just to get everybody organized players are all over the place coaches are scattered across the continent across the globe you got to bring everybody in and you gotta get everybody tested you gotta get your facilities set up and cleaned and get all your masks and hand sanitizers out and everything you gotta get all your equipment together like this thing needs to be hammered out by the end of may i think if there's any hope that we're going to see
1: baseball at the beginning of july because it takes a lot of lead-up time to that i would think you're right with each passing day that's you know in a sense a wasted opportunity and in a sense each day that goes by makes the remaining month plus more complicated because it gives you less time to sort out those logistics. And we all know there are going to be tons of logistics to sort out. I mean, it's really endless. And we'll get to that, obviously, in the course of the podcast. But the number of changes that are coming to Major League Baseball from the moment the players wake up to the moment they take the field to the moment they go to bed, it's endless. So I do think something has to be worked out by the end of May. I don't think that will be an easy thing to do, but I do think it will happen.
0: So you do think that as we're sitting here today, that within the next, what they got nine, 10 days to go, that they'll get something ironed out by the end of May? I do think
1: so. Yeah. It sounds like you're a little bit skeptical on this. I'm skeptical about everything, Ben. So (laughs) understandably in this, in these times to be skeptical. When I look at this baseline for me, it's just a question of incentives. And as much as MLB's negotiators are like, they are so skilled, they are just getting their agenda pushed forward, left, right, and center Throughout all of this. They're getting so much done really under the radar. They're shortening the draft. They're ultimately going to contract the number of minor league franchises. They might end up putting in a de facto salary cap. They might end up scaling back media. Like Any kind of change that Major League Baseball has been wanting to make but hasn't quite found the time to make, this has been a productive two months for them. Not that Major League Baseball wishes for this, of course. This is not good for Major League Baseball. It's not good for anybody. But under the circumstances, they are pushing through a lot of things that they want done. And that gives me a lot of belief in their negotiators and a lot of belief that their negotiators probably could outfox the MLBPA if they had to. But the reason I say it comes down to incentives is I think both sides are incentivized to get some kind of a deal done, make some kind of concessions, because... Both parties want baseball to happen. And so I think that that common interest will drive a deal forward.
0: So I have so many things to say about that. First of all, you're right that like the owners are so, so good at this. And baseball under Rob Manfred is so, so, so good at this. It's almost like the evil political playbook of distracting people with, you know, different license plates and, you know, dollar beers and letting that generate headlines while, you know, behind the scenes you are like slashing public health care funding and, you know, making all kinds of cutbacks to education and all types of unpopular stuff that isn't being talked about. Your ring's very familiar to me. There's that. But then also when there is returning to play, to me, there's two buckets here. There is like the health and safety bucket. And then there's the economical bucket, right? And there's like the money. And those are like the two areas that need to be satisfied to return to play. And you kind of alluded a bit to the health and safety stuff with just how different this game is going to look when it comes back, if it comes back, just with the new normal that players are going to have to get used to in terms of their travel, what they do and do not do at the ballpark, also away from it, how much of it's going to be incumbent upon themselves to be testing themselves and taking their own temperatures and not taking Ubers and taxis and not going to restaurants and not meeting up with somebody off Tinder. Basically the entire lifestyle that they've gotten accustomed to over their lives as a professional athlete is going to change drastically. So like maybe we even start there with the health and safety stuff and the document that's been released about how different things will have to be for ball players. Like, do you think players are going to be on board with the whatever it was a 67 page document like that starting point for what it will look like when play resumes
1: i think they will try to be i think that their intentions are good and will be good it's the document i mean everything from players being discouraged from fist bumping players being discouraged from high-fiving discouraged from showering at the ballpark i mean these are guys who normally shower what like three times a day at the ballpark now, zero. So they're just going to show up and then like sweat their way through batting practice in the Florida heat of a June or July afternoon and stay in that uniform all day. I mean, that does not sound fun. That does not sound like a workplace environment that I necessarily would want to be in. These players are making sacrifices as lots of people are. And this is not to compare, but just to state within their world, this is a concession and one that will be necessary under the circumstances of the pandemic. So to reinforce your point, yeah, there's going to be so many changes here and so many restrictions on the type of food that they eat on where they drink water you know those little gatorade cups that you see in the dugout i mean everything is going to be different so to answer your question i think the players will be on board or try to be on board but we don't know yet how easy it will be to take these rules from the 67 page document and put them into practice. Maybe it will be really doable. Like, obviously, I don't know, nobody's seen this before, but it's also entirely imaginable that putting these into place will be really tough.
0: I think the biggest hurdle with the players will be access to some of the training and rehabilitative facilities. Like you mentioned, you know, batting practice. Well, what is batting practice even going to look like? And will you be able to use, you know, indoor cages for batting practice? Will you be able to take cuts after the games? What's your access to the video room? going to be like what about some of the training facilities and like rehab stuff what about hot tubs cold tubs saunas trainers tables etc like players rely on all of these things to prepare themselves to play and to recover physically from it afterwards and I think that they can make a decent argument that if their access to all those things is like restricted either they won't be able to play their best without that access or they'll actually be at a heightened chance of injury because they're not preparing themselves as well as they need to or recovering as well as they need to. So like I I see that as a really big hurdle. And I think another one is just what happens, not if, but when a player tests positive. We have seen it in the NPB in Japan when they first started up bunch of players tested positive Bundesliga in Germany they started up a bunch of players tested positive if across MLB you were going to be testing you know if they expand to like 30 man rosters I mean you know like we're looking at a thousand players here plus coaches plus staff that large of a pool a lot of players are going to test positive positive. and what happens when they do what happens if they're on the road when they test positive what happens if you're in another city away from your family like you can't just like get back on the flight and fly home How are we getting you back home to your family? Do you want to go back to your family in that scenario? I mean, you're on the road, you're at the team hotel, you've tested positive, now where do you go? Where do we put you? There's a lot of details there that I think need to be worked out before the player's going to be okay with this.
1: Those are great points, and I think it's very likely, as you say, that there could be a heightened chance of injury under these circumstances. These players will be exposed to risk or heightened risk of getting the coronavirus there's no question about that compared to being at home now they're doing all this travel they're they're being exposed to all these different people these different environments that definitely increases the injury and as you said off the top you're looking at a group of players who are accustomed to world class training facilities world-class trainers and physical therapists and everything else and now their access might be restricted so all that leads to a work environment that's worse i mean there's no question that this is a downgrade compared to 2019 and very conceivably this could mean that the caliber of play is compromised in some way as well that's kind of hard to say at this point we'll probably have at least a few more months before we can get a good read on that but if you're the players. Maybe you say, we are willing to accept a work environment that is worse in all these ways because we want to work. This is our craft. We only have so many years that we get to perform. And, you know, in some cases, it's about the money. In some cases, it's about trying to make an impact on the country, you know, and trying to make an impact on the world of baseball watching fans. I do think that there's an aspect of that for some players as well. So there are reasons to say, just like workers in other fields might say, my job is worse right now, but I'm still going to do it. Players might say the same thing.
0: And that's where the economic bucket comes into play. Because, okay,
1: are you going to, like, everything you just said, are, are
0: are players going to accept all of that while making significantly less money than not only they were contracted to, like, before the season, but that they then agreed to in March when the original agreement was put in place? And, like, it gets back to what you were saying with the owners being incredibly good. At what they do, they knew the players would never accept a 50 50 revenue split. They knew that was a non starter. As we sit here today, they haven't even formally presented that to the players. What they've done is they've leaked that framework very early in the process and put the players in the position of being the bad guys who are holding up baseball's return. You know, even calling it a 50-50 arrangement, like if you aren't like us and you aren't into the nitty-gritty of MLB labor relations, like if you're just a casual fan, then you just see the numbers 50-50 and you say, well, yeah, that's fair, right? Everyone benefits equally. Like you're just splitting the pie in half. Like why are these players being so greedy? But that doesn't reflect the fact that MLB revenues have been steadily increasing year over year. While the player's share has been steadily decreasing for like the last decade, that doesn't explain to the casual fan that what we're actually talking about is this nebulous term of baseball revenue for owners that hold real estate portfolios and commercial businesses. They sell merchandise, they have licensing agreements, they own restaurants around their ballparks. I mean, how much of that actually counts as baseball revenue? was the sale of MLB Advanced Media baseball revenue or was that just a technology deal separate from the money the league makes off of strictly baseball? I mean, businesses can manipulate their books in a lot of different ways and baseball teams have found some extremely creative ways of suppressing player salaries in recent history. You can't blame the players for being untrusting there of that 50-50 split, but the way the owners have played the PR game so far is so brilliant in that everything is framed as the players being greedy and unreasonable while the owners just want to do what's equitable.
1: Major League Baseball is a force when it comes to their bargaining team and when it comes to their entire labor relations department. You see it in arbitration where Major League Baseball is much more sophisticated and organized. You saw it in the last collective bargaining agreement. You're seeing it right now. I mean, this is a group that's got some really smart, experienced people led by Dan Halem the lead negotiator from Major League Baseball and supported by a really strong team of people who would honestly be really good probably in any industry. Opposite that, you have the MLB Players Association which, you know, I think by nature it's a lot harder to get 1200 players on 40-man rosters compared to 30 teams. So that's obviously a factor of 40 when you're looking at trying to get people on the same page. It's a lot easier to get 30 people to agree to something than it is to get 1,200 people to agree. So yeah, I think all of that stacks the deck a little bit in the favor of Major League Baseball to begin with. And then you look at the fact that they're playing hardball. And I'm thinking in particular of a recent article in the New York Post that Joel Sherman wrote. Joel Sherman, obviously great reporter, really, really informed on this stuff. And, and I read everything that, that he writes. This one article was framed as a smoking gun email. But In reality, it was Major League Baseball's memo to other Major League Baseball officials in which they said that the Players Association had a certain viewpoint. So essentially, to me, that's a lot of noise. Really, what this comes down to is the Players Association, Major League Baseball have to get on the same page. They can leak whatever they want. They can try to play games in the media. But I think they ultimately both want to get the game going. I don't think that either side could afford the PR hit or the financial hit of missing a season under these circumstances when, yes, it's far less than ideal. But also it is an opportunity to be in the public eye and to be a really good news story at a time that a lot of people, a lot of baseball fans, I think would welcome that.
0: And I just think like the unfortunate thing is that the players will take the brunt of that PR hit. We've kind of already seen it. The tricky thing that owners have done is they've kind of put themselves on this ledge where they're asserting that they will lose gross amounts of money if they play with the players earning the prorated salaries that were agreed to in March. And I think the players would say, well, prove it, right? Like, show us all this money that you're going to lose and like i bet actually the owners could manipulate their books to do so but the owners have like taken this like do or die position where if the players don't give something back the owners could just say well sorry like we can't play the game this year because we're businesses and we refuse to operate at a loss so the players almost have to come back to the table as you're saying like with some sort of creative solution here otherwise if the players hold firm to the march agreement Well, you know, maybe you can go to arbitration and like battle that out in a courtroom or maybe the owners just say, well, that's it. See everyone next year. We tried. The players have just been put in this position where they have to come to the table giving something up because if they don't, there might not be baseball and the players rightly or wrongly, and I would say wrongly, will be seen as at fault for that.
1: Right. All of that makes sense. And it is such an interesting dynamic because at a certain point, as with any negotiation, you have to kind of assess what you think the breaking point is for the other side. And if you're the players, you have to figure out whether the owners are bluffing if they suggest that it would be a loss for them financially to play the season while still paying the players their prorated salaries. And if you sense that that's a hard line for them, then, you know, are they bluffing or are they not? Because even if they were to lose money, which, as you say, the numbers behind that are murky at best, but even if they were to lose money in 2020 to play a season well-playing players, you could still make a case that it would be good from a business standpoint to play the season because you want to be in the public eye, you do not want to take the PR hit, and, you know, just in the same way that sometimes a store will have you know, an item on sale, like whatever it is, a bag of chips for $199 that pulls you in the door at Loblaws or Costco or whatever it is. And then you go and you pay the premium and that's where they make their money. This season, in a sense, could be a bit of a loss leader for them where they are not going to make a lot of money or as much money in 2020. But still, you want fans engaging with your product, which I think if you're Major League Baseball, that can't be up for debate. They've already had. You know, we're coming up on, you know, what is it, nine, ten months now since there was a Major League game played in a lot of markets? I mean, the World Series for for the Astros and for the Nationals. But it's been almost a year since there was a baseball game played in Toronto. You don't want that to go on too long. You don't want that to go on to 18 months. So to me, I think these sides, and I think if you're Major League Baseball, you have to be willing to give a little bit because you don't want a summer without baseball, especially this summer when people are going to be at home and they're going to want something to watch.
0: And here's the thing, owners are going to trim expenses regardless of what the players do here. You mentioned it earlier, like they already are finding efficiencies and what's efficiency code for? Spending less money. So several teams are already laying off employees and furloughing employees. I'm sure many more are going to follow. Come June, particularly if there isn't an agreement reached in the next 10 days, which isn't just game day staff, by the way, or ticket sales or marketing. We're talking about scouts, we're talking about analysts, junior baseball operations people. You mentioned the draft. That's already been reduced to five rounds. So teams are spending far less money there. And this year's bonuses, by the way, are being deferred. So whoever the Blue Jays draft at five, the slot value of that pick being around like six million dollars, whatever it is. They could sign that that individual for $6 million. They're only going to pay $100,000 right away. The rest is going to be paid in subsequent years. When You mentioned minor league baseball. You're about to bleed off 40 teams at least, if not more. That's far fewer players that are being paid, that are being fed, that are being transported around the country. And I would even forecast and look at the next round of free agency – How well do you think players are going to do after all of this? Like, I don't see too many teams looking to expand their payroll going forward, considering, you know, this loss leader season, as you put it, that that we might be seeing. I mean, I think players are going to end up giving money back via a, a diminished free agent market at the end of this, whether they like it or not. So teams are going to find ways to save money and to trim their expenses here. So I like I don't see why the the players should be lining up to actively participate in that. Like if I'm a player and I'm saying like look like you've set revenue records 10 years running while by the way attendance has been declining across baseball. The game's richer now than it's ever been before with fewer people in the ballparks across the league and then you hit one year without gate receipts, and all of a sudden you're going insolvent, like, as a player, I'd be like, let me see those numbers again, you know? Like, how does that work? Like, it kind of sounds like maybe you're over-leveraged and maybe you owe a bit too much debt, And if I'm a player, like, I don't see why that's my problem and something that I need to pay for. We had an original deal, which is my original contract. And then we actually had a second deal where I agreed to give you back a prorated portion of the money that you owed me. If you can't afford to pay me this year to play baseball this year, like, fine, we'll try again next year. But if I'm a player, why should I be on the hook for the fact you can't pay your bills?
1: Yeah, and that was the sentiment in some of the conversations. This is dating back a couple of months now, but it, as all this was starting to take shape, that was the sentiment that I heard at times from players is this was all starting to take shape and it's similar to the sentiment that we heard from Blake Snell, you know, last week in his comments via Twitch and not necessarily the most diplomatic comments that you're going to find. But yeah, I think that there will be frustration from players in this whole in this whole thing if they are expected to keep being the ones who are making concessions. I think there's a willingness or there, there will be a willingness on the part of a lot of players. We're not playing a full season. We're not getting a full salary. Like, I think that's going to be understood. But I do think that there's going to have to be some sort of a meeting in the middle here, and I think it will happen. So let's talk
0: about Blake Snell because that's been, like, such a lightning rod across baseball uh, through all of this. I'll give you my, like, quick take on it. I loved what he said, and I loved the way he said it. I am not on team the message was good, but the messaging was poor. I like them both. I thought it was authentic. I thought it was direct. I thought it was honest. I thought it was raw. I thought it was real. I don't understand why people would prefer some sort of prepackaged, massaged statement littered with lawyerese. Like, this is just an actual athlete, an actual worker in this scenario – talking directly to you and expressing himself in his own words. And to me like what could be
1: more authentic and all I want in this world is authenticity. So I loved it. I hear you on the authenticity point. I definitely think that we ask for athletes to be themselves and to and to be candid and to tell us their true thoughts and I think no one would suggest that Blake Snell didn't give us his true thoughts here. So I do appreciate that and I don't think it's some sort of moral failing on his part to share these thoughts. But to me, at a time that you're in negotiations with the league and, you know, public perception does matter when you're thinking about players as a whole, um, when you're thinking about the game as a whole, I don't think that it reflects well on him to be making it all about himself at a time that you have frontline workers you know, in healthcare, you know, lots of people are going to have to be support staff for Major League Baseball. He's just saying, you know, I want all my money. You know, I'm, I'm risking my life. I want all my money, which I get. But I just think there are a lot of other people out there who are putting themselves in equal risk without the same kind of compensation. And so that's where the comments to me kind of ring. I didn't like the way he said them. So I would be in the camp of, I understand the comments, but I I just don't love the way they land. So
0: here's how I would respond to that, because you hear a lot of people saying, well, yeah, Blake Snell is clearly out of touch with what the common Americans going through and players shouldn't be talking about money, right? Amidst record unemployment across America and all kinds of people being furloughed and needing social assistance. But then why? Like, to me, it's a double standard. Like, why? Why are the owners allowed to talk about money? Because the owners are talking about money, too their entire pitch is that we're bleeding money. So we need to put all of our employees like Blake Snell at risk to bring baseball back. But if we do that and our employees don't take further pay cuts, we're going to continue losing money. Like that's the, the owners are talking about money every day. So I don't understand why owners are allowed to talk about money, but players aren't. The second response I would have to that is, This whole thing is insensitive. Like bringing back baseball right now, the whole thing is not being sensitive to what a lot of Americans are going through. Nearly 95,000 have died of COVID-19. Like every day, 1,500 people are still dying of this thing. The U.S. is going to hit 100,000 deaths. By the end of this month certainly if not by the end of this podcast i don't really want to hear about how players being insensitive about talking about their salaries and safety because the entire thing's insensitive like talking about when we can get our men in pajamas chasing a ball around the field back while 1500 people are dropping dead every day and while like er doctors are suffering greatly and they don't have enough equipment they don't have enough testing and they're overworked and going through immense physical and mental stress while you know a lot of people's grandmothers and grandfathers have died prematurely of this but like people are bored of quarantine and they're desensitized to the numbers, right? The daily news cycle is just like ground all of our brains to mush. So we think, yeah, like let's go play baseball. And like I want baseball. I want baseball to come back. I just think that the arguments against the way Blake Snell said things are just kind of bunk. Like I just think that it's a double standard. And I think that the owner is allowed to get away with certain things that the players
1: aren't. Interesting. Yeah. I think those are perspectives that we haven't really heard a lot. So I would say put them on Twitter, but then but I I wouldn't want to subject you to the people who would appear in your mentions.
0: That's a way to say you have an incredibly unpopular opinion. (laughs) That's basically what you're saying to me right now. No,
1: no. I no, I don't I don't think it would necessarily be unpopular. I think there are a lot of good points there because you know, when you say the whole thing is insensitive, absolutely it is. Because, you know, this is baseball that we're talking about and it's far from life and death. It's, you know, it's entertainment. That's great. Is it our only source of entertainment? No, of course not. There's still Netflix. There's still, especially now that it's, it's nice out, people can go for a walk or check on their garden or whatever the case. You know, I think that that's definitely true. The whole thing is insensitive. And I think it's also true that there's a double standard here. I think, you know, it's interesting. The language here is what people are responding to. And if this was phrased in a different way, people would respond in a different way. Now, the owners frame it as we're bleeding money. Blake Snell frames it as I want mine. I want money. People respond differently, especially I think at a time of economic stress. People respond differently to one person who's saying, I'm losing money, I'm worried. And to one person who's saying, I want my money. I want my money. I don't know why. I don't know what the psychology is behind that. But I think that's pretty fair to say that there would be a different response to that. And with that being the case, I think that Snell's comments were destined to piss people off. And that's where I say, just from a PR standpoint, just frame it a little differently. Like, start with an acknowledgement of, hey, I understand there are people that have far bigger problems than this. I understand that, you know, there are a lot of frontline workers who are also at risk. But that being said, we are experts. We're the best baseball players in the world. And we're going to be at risk, too. So... We want our agreement to be honored with Major League Baseball and we hope that that will happen. Now, you know, maybe that's like the lawyer version that you don't want to hear from players. And and I I understand that. But if he had said that, we both know that it would have skated and no one would have thought about it twice.
0: Exactly. I'm just tired of, let's just appeal to the lowest common denominator of people who like won't read up on this but want to have an extremely like strong opinion about it but, like, won't actually do the research to understand what's behind what he's saying. Let's appeal to the people who resent athletes because they make a lot of money, even though, like, they are able to do something that, like, 99.9% of the population can't do, right? Like, if you resent Blake Snell for the amount of money that he makes, okay, okay. Go throw as hard as he does as accurately as he does with as wicked off speed and breaking stuff as he does and go climb up through the minor leagues to get to the major leagues like put in all the work that he did and by the way let's not forget who Blake Snell plays for like let's not forget that he plays for a team that is the poster child of minimizing player salaries of never signing big ticket free agents of locking players up to well below market value extensions of gaming service time of trading players at the height of their value. I mean like like there's, you know, there's no such thing as a career Tampa Bay Ray, right? This is a team that is routinely praised for how low their cost per win is. And Blake Snell came of age in that environment. Like just talking about him coming up through the minor leagues, like, you know, don't forget that when he made his debut, it was conveniently delayed until several weeks into the season, even though he was like a top 10 MLB prospect at that time. Like, don't forget that the Rays renewed his contract after his Cy Young season at 575, keeping him at the league minimum when he was literally the best pitcher in the league. And then he obviously, he went on to sign his extension after that, five years, $50 million. But he gave up, I mean, untold millions that he could have made if he continued to perform and went year to year in arbitration. But he instead signed an extension because the Rays held that power over him. And they renewed him at the league minimum. And it was like, well, do I want to keep making the league minimum until I get to arbitration? What if I get hurt? What if I don't perform quite as well? Then they're going to fight me tooth and nail through ARB. You know, I might as well take this money that's here right now in front of me instead of betting on myself. Like... Blake Snell, like this guy's been through the grinder of how teams suppress salaries and find ways to keep expenses as low as possible. Like there is literally or there was literally a championship belt that was presented every year to teams that paid players the least in arbitration. So for Blake Snell to say, I've got to get my money. I completely understand that because this guy is one of the best pitchers on the planet and he's been having his value chopped down his entire career. Like he's been giving up money since he signed a slot deal in the draft. So absolutely, he shouldn't be looking to give up any more at this point.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And you know, your point about the Rays is, is a good one. You know, where you're, you're talking about a team that in a lot of ways is an extreme example within Major League Baseball for the way that they operate. But they are not alone. And in fact, in a lot of ways, they are a model where you look at Eric Neander, their top baseball executive, who was named executive of the year last year by Major League Baseball or Baseball America. And then you look at the Boston Red Sox who go and hire Heim Bloom and the Houston Astros go and hire James Click. So now three of the Rays' top baseball execs are now GMs in various markets across baseball. That is a model that Major League owners appreciate and want to replicate and i'm sure that's not lost on players and i'm sure that's not lost on blake snell but you know to me optics do matter i think that the way you phrase something does matter and so i don't fault blake snell for this because whatever he said what he said that's fine that's that's his opinion but if someone was asking me you know another player was considering sharing their opinion on this i would suggest that they don't phrase it this way
0: Man, like, I just want to hear from players. I just want to hear their unvarnished, like, authentic thoughts, you know? And I want to hear them on the internet where I can easily access them. As a fan of this game, like, I know it's cynical, but like, you, you even think about if and when baseball returns, like, you just know how this is all going to be positioned, right? Like, we're helping the country heal, you know? We're giving people hope. We're getting things back to normal, right? You hear it all the time from the President of the United States, well, like, how is that any less insensitive than what Blake Snell said? Like, yeah, sure. Let, let's just, you know, exploit the deaths of 100,000 people to push our product. You know, like you look at the provisions, the health and safety provisions, they have protocol about what players are going to do during national anthems and God bless America. Wait, 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 why are we even doing that? There's no one in the stadium. Like there's nobody there. Who are the songs for?
1: TV audience.
0: The networks want it, I'm sure. But it's because you're going to wrap this thing up in patriotism, right? You're going to wrap it up in the flag, and you are going to use a historic pandemic to position your sport as helping a a country heal. So, like, just you got to give me a break with this whole oh, like, got I know what's going on in the world. Everybody is complicit in this. Everybody.
1: Yeah. No, I think there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt the owners are pushing a product at a time that the you know you talk about healing, like the damage is still being done. This isn't only healing that's happening. As you were saying a few minutes ago, this virus continues to spread. It's not like this is, you know, we're at the end point. We're in the middle of this with no end necessarily in sight. And the idea of returning to normal in quote unquote in baseball or in any other industry is probably not something that I'm going to hold my breath for. You know, like I think the more this goes on, the more, and this is veering a little bit away from our baseball discussion here, but I'm just not expecting to return to normal. I'm expecting to have to adapt to a new normal and that whatever equilibrium we're approaching in the future is going to be very different from the equilibrium that we all got used to and that still existed as recently as a few months back.
0: And us being in the middle of this still is what makes me still believe that the most realistic scenario for baseball this year is the quarantine cup, which I pitched uh, a few podcasts ago. 30 teams, five pools, like based out of hubs and jurisdictions where it's safest to play. You got your month long round robin, then you got a championship bracket, you got a consolation bracket. The consolation bracket has some stakes, the ability to play your way back into the championship bracket. You bang the whole thing out in like 60 to 75 days and be done with it. To me, in that scenario, everyone wins. Because look, the players are saying they don't like the amount of risk. They're worried about their families while they're playing out like a four or five month season. Boom. this is only a two month commitment. You get your year of service and you get a bit of coin. It's prorated, but you get a bit of money. You minimize your risk at least as much as we think is possible. Owners are saying that they can't afford to pay players their pro-rated salaries over uh, like an 80 or 100-game season. Boom, fewer games, less expenses. Governments are saying that the more you travel, the more you open yourself up to risk. Well, you got hub cities, less travel, increased safety. Epidemiologists, infectious disease experts are saying there could be a second wave in the fall and that as the United States rushes to open back up right now, that's only inviting Future disaster, boom, shorter season, it's played quickly. You really won't have lost all that much if you have to shut it down because it's a one off tournament anyway. To me, that's the most realistic thing. Like, and I understand that you have to start big and you have to try for as much of normalcy as you can and as much of a regular season as you can and a traditional playoff structure and a World Series being awarded. But I think that there's just going to have to be a a creative solution here that just kind of checks enough boxes for everybody like there's got to be a compromise here for everybody because right now the sides are so far apart and right now i think the risk is so great of trying to do something over four to five months that the easiest way to go is the quarantine cup
1: it's a really fun idea and i i love the idea of weird baseball and you know well i mean i i should be careful what i wish for because this this year is proving to be truly bizarre the one question i'll pose to you on that is if you're the top executive at Fox Sports and you've already paid for the rights to broadcast the 2020 World Series and Major League Baseball (laughs) phones you up and says hey hey Arden like you know we're we're thinking of doing this quarantine cup this year I don't know I don't know like what do you think about that like to me if you're a major TV executive at Fox and you've already paid for these ALCS NLCS World Series rights I think you want those because of the cachet that they have that they've built up year over year and that a different kind of tournament feel wouldn't replicate.
0: I think that's just semantics. I I think you could say to Fox like all right look do you want to broadcast it or not because if you don't I bet you there's a bunch of your competitors who would really like to broadcast the return of baseball who have like a literal captive audience sitting at home really really eager to watch not so much the game but watch the advertisements that you're going to show in between innings. That's what I would say. Like look, look, I'm I'm sorry but there is a massive pandemic and either you want to broadcast this
1: game or not. That's an interesting response. I would love to be in the room for those discussions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for really for any of these discussions. Like it's I
0: can't get into the lobby of that building. Oh
1: remember. man, you and I are not getting in any lobbies or any buildings anytime <laughs> soon. I think that's that's fair to say. Like you know, when it comes to media coverage, like we we better make sure our Zoom accounts are up to date because I think <laughs> that's honestly that's the way things are looking. It kind of goes
0: along a, a thread that I always am like harping on on every podcast. It feels like in every radio appearance I do, but I will say it one more time: that I just want baseball to be fun when it returns. I'll go along for this ride. I'll watch the billionaires argue with the millionaires about how to divvy up their dump truck of money. And I'll listen to lawyers argue over the verbiage and contracts. and like I'll watch these two dysfunctional sides just keep slinging mud at one another. Like I'll do it, Ben, I'll do it. But on the other side of this, we better have a more fun and accessible and forward thinking product of baseball. I want innovation and I want progress. It's been needed for a long time in this game. It's never been needed more than right now. Mic up everybody on every broadcast. Market the personalities of your players, not the history of your teams. Every club should be like producing its own YouTube show. It should be producing podcasts hosted by players. We're already seeing a number of them doing that by their own volition I don't know why clubs wouldn't want a piece of that I think shake up the divisions let's see some rule changes let's find ways to allow more teams to be competitive deeper into the regular season like I just think that MLB needs to do everything it can to freshen up its product and make it more appealing when it comes out of this
1: yeah. And I think this is going to accelerate things. It, it already has. Like, it's really crazy. I was thinking the other day, as recently as if a few months ago, the big storylines were like, oh man, they're going to have a 26-man roster and (laughs) left-handed relievers are only going to be able to face, or now they're going to have to face three batters at least. Can you guys believe it? And those were like the actual stories that were, you know, I might have written some of them. I'm not saying that those stories weren't relevant at the time, but it's just, you know, in contrast to what's happening now, It just seems like absolute minutiae and the scale of change is really growing and it's going to create the opportunity to accelerate some of this change and and a lot of that change will be welcome I think A, a lot of those ideas I think would help and it is time for like you said for the players to be front and center for fans to get to know these players a lot better. And hopefully that can happen safely, obviously. That's got to be the priority. And we can't just assume that it's safe because we want it to be safe. But a lot of change coming our way, I think, in the next few months.
0: The most enjoyment I've gotten out of baseball in the last, you know, I don't know, yeah, long time, I guess, has been like watching Trevor Bauer through live ABs, right, to Derek Dietrich on YouTube or like getting into some of the podcasts that players have and some of the stories that they're telling and some of the raw, authentic sides of themselves, that they have been presenting through, I guess we call it new media on the internet, but it's really not like, it's really pretty old media at this point. No,
1: it's standard media. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it it is just media. (laughs) Uh, You know, like, like I just think that baseball returns with the same stodgy old product that by the way, they were having trouble selling to young people already before all of this. And then you followed that up with yet another labor war that just makes everybody roll their eyes. I mean, look, you're doing this like at a time that you might be competing directly with NBA, NHL, NFL, and if you come back with that same product that's already turning young people off, like I just do not think you're going to do particularly well. Baseball, it's always going to have you and me then, right? Like, it's always going to have diehards. It's probably always going to have everybody who's listening to this podcast right now, you know? Because, like, we know who the Blue Jays selected in the Rule 5 draft, you know? Like, we know the names of the executives. But when you're talking about casual fans, which in a lot of cases are the ones that pay the bills, you're going to really need to boost your numbers. Because there's going to be so much competition for the attention of those fans as sports return, like the NFL draft did like 12 million viewers, you know? So I think that baseball has to refresh the product to make it more appealing because like it was already losing that battle with the other sports, like well before anyone even knew what COVID-19 was.
1: Well, and I think that's true. You're kind of talking about the fan experience from a digital standpoint and from a TV standpoint. And I agree completely. And I think even if you're talking about the in-person experience, I mean, it's it's stating the obvious to point out that the change is going to have to come on that front as well because you think about, Everything from entering the stadium alongside thousands of people to sharing these public washrooms to leaving the stadium in hordes. It's going to change because there's no vaccine, obviously, at this point. There's the possibility of future pandemics. And not to be too dismal here, but this is the world we live in. I think that's become apparent. And you do want fans to feel safe when they are engaging with your product in person. So I think all those things have to be considered and the changes we're talking about also have to extend to the stadiums themselves.
0: I'm trying to think if there's any like Blue Jays angles that we need to cover on this. Like, I think the big one is, is where the Blue Jays actually would play if and when baseball starts back up. Spring training, I think, obviously, would be in Dunedin. I don't know that they could play the regular season games in Dunedin. I don't think that we'll see regular season baseball
1: in Toronto this year at all. I don't know if you differ on that. No, I agree. I'm not anticipating... The Toronto Blue Jays to play in Toronto before 2021. Right, so like that's where the
0: conversation starts. And you think, all right, so where are the Blue Jays going to play? You know, I just remember how many spring training games I've seen in Dunedin, where you know somebody hits like a lazy fly ball to left, and the wind just like blows it three hundred feet past the wall. And I just think about the way the weather is in Dunedin at the time of year that we're looking at right now in August. It's extremely uncooperative. And I also think about when you watch some of the spring training broadcasts from Dunedin on television, this isn't really a place set up to be particularly amazing from a broadcast perspective. There just aren't that many camera points. There aren't that many microphones. Baseball is basically a TV product now. They should be playing on sound stages. <laughs> so you need as many camera angles as possible and as much broadcast infrastructure as possible. And I don't think that exists in Dunedin right now and even beyond that like you think about you know wanting a major league caliber clubhouse and training facilities and rehab facilities and stuff like that that's just not there so I would think that playing at canna Field might make a lot more sense just in terms of like controlling the weather and all the broadcast infrastructure is there all the replay infrastructure is there do you have any other ideas?
1: Wow so you think the Jays and Rays would share a facility then in that scenario?
0: Yeah I think so you could game the schedule to do that right?
1: Yeah, no, you could do it. I mean, certainly it would help from a weather standpoint. Oh, man, I'm just picturing the TV broadcast. Like, even if it's technically better, I'd, I would 10 times out of 10 rather watch a game at Dunedin Stadium under the lights than watch something at the Trop. Well, live, but on TV. Right. But on T- I still think the Trop sucks on TV. <laughs> I really like it's so dark it's just, it's I actually like it better in person like in person I don't even mind the trop that much but on tv it just seems so gray and dark so I hope just from an optics and aesthetic standpoint that that isn't the case but it's an interesting you know when you think about the practicalities when you think about the heat which for teams that will spend part or all of their seasons in Florida or Arizona the heat has to really be considered here that might be a practical consideration that they have to look at.
0: Well, yeah, and it's a minor league ballpark. Not even only the heat, like the wind, the dimensions. Like I think that other teams could have a serious gripe that the Blue Jays are playing in this minor league ballpark and like are playing these, you know, 15 to 12 games because the wind's blowing out one day or because it's so hot, the ball is flying. Like I think that it just from a competitive standpoint, having both the Jays and Rays indoors at the Trop, like just makes sense in terms of having a
1: a level playing field. In a sense, but I also think the Jays would be at a disadvantage to have to be away from their home for such a long period of time and to really have no home base for an indefinite period, have all that uncertainty hovering. I mean, compare that to, you know, let's say the Baltimore Orioles or the St. Louis Cardinals, if they're able to play their home games at their home stadiums, then they have everything in place for a major league season already. They have potentially houses that they purchased or condos that they've leased for that year i think you know putting up camp in dunedin for for a short season might put the jays at a disadvantage even if it does lead to some lopsided scores
0: It's a disadvantage the Blue Jays are just going to have to take. There's no way you can play in Toronto this year with, like, you're not only talking about getting the Blue Jays into Canada, but you're talking about getting all their opponents into Canada as well and then out of Canada. The more travel that you have, particularly when you're going across borders, just the more susceptible to risk with all this. I just can't see them playing in Toronto. So I think the Blue Jays just have to accept that, you know, that that is going to be part of their disadvantage. You know, the fortunate thing for them, if they did play out of the trop is that their players are, you know, accustomed to spending six weeks of the year in the Dunedin area anyway kind of in the you know tampa st pete Oldsmar, clearwater area anyway so you know hopefully they would have connections down there you would think and they would have places to stay you know you would hope it would be somewhat easier like like hunjin ryu's down there right now right because you know his wife's given birth and and they stayed down there in dunedin so hunjin ryu's like throwing bullpens in dunedin right now so you know, there's your highest paid player, and it's not that much of a an adjustment for him. I think the Blue Jays could make it work. The other big disadvantage that they're working at here, I think, is the draft with only five rounds. The Blue Jays are going to pick, you know, I can't tell you the last time they picked this high, but it's been a long time. They have the fifth pick, and they would have had the fifth pick in every round of a 40-round draft, and now it's only a five-round draft. So not only are they bringing less talent into the organization but they're also going to be working with a diminished bonus pool which is you know a lot of where you kind of make your hay in the draft is how you get creative with dispensing your money to different players and maybe selecting you know a a guy early that you can slow assign below slot so you can get that high upside high school guy later in the
1: draft and give him a a bigger bonus to lure him away from a college commitment like i think that really hurts the jays too i would agree you know i think you start looking at the number of players the number of star players really good players that are selected after the fifth round that's a long list of players and the jays are potentially missing out on a lot of those you know you start looking at the college ranks for future years and the college ranks are likely to be much more packed when you start looking ahead one or two or three years down the line with all these players who are now going to be in college instead of in the pro ranks. But that's a challenge. I think the Jays can face some of that by signing players up to 20,000 as free agents after the fact. But if you're talking about guys who would have gone in the sixth round or the seventh, eighth, ninth, you're not getting those guys for 20K. So that just depletes your minor league system.
0: Yeah that's where the Blue Jays could make some hay is like if they are ready to go like right after the draft with like who they're targeting and how they're going to pitch those individuals on their organization because everybody can offer the the same amount of money and it's not a whole lot of money and as you said it's probably going to be a somewhat limited pool of individuals who are like going to take that money over you know going back to college or like going the junior college route. Like Nate Pearson did and being able to enter the draft a year later but the Blue Jays at least can pitch players on hey We've been investing a lot of money in player development. You know, we've got a brand new sprawling facility in Dunedin that has like every toy and gadget that you could possibly want further your career. We have a developmental philosophy that has allowed, you know, Bo Bichette to be himself and get to the majors quickly at the age of twenty-one with a swing that many thought was unconventional and and wouldn't work. You know, we've worked with guys like Nate Pearson and you know, who's wanted to go to drive line, like TJ Zoik went to drive line. We've allowed guys to take those opportunities to further their development and get better. Like I think that the Blue Jays have a pretty decent, even though it's recent, it is a decent developmental track record that they can sell players on when they are pitching them like, hey, I know it's only a $20,000 bonus, but come join us because we're going to get you better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It would help if they had some minor league teams to assign (laughs) these guys to. What a weird season. It's going to be such a challenge. I think you're right. I think it holds up even without minor league teams. There are going to be players who say, I want to go pro, I mean that's incentive for some guys who just want to play pro baseball for whatever reason. That's great. Those guys will be in, you can lure them into the organization, have them at your developmental mini camps, and then they can slot into an affiliated system in 2021. For other guys, there might not be a place to put them, but that's the case for every team. So, you know, in that sense, it's an even playing field. You know who's really going to hurt in all this is like the org guy. You know, like the
0: 26, 27 year old guy who is like still living the dream at double A or whatever. Like, I don't think there's going to be room for that guy anymore because I think the teams are just they're going to have a lot more invested in every single one of their prospects at. You know, whatever the affiliate system looks like after this, if it is still an affiliate system, if it's an academy system, like however baseball structures it going forward, like I just think that every player, teams are going to have, you know, a lot more invested in their upside rather than, oh, hey, like Lansing needs a third baseman. Let's go get whoever. Those are the players that'll hurt a lot more. And then it'll, you know, younger players will have less opportunity to really prove themselves and to move up and to keep developing and keep showing that improvement. Like if you kind of, you know, sputter or plateau or top out a little bit when you hit double a, like you might not have as much rope to come back another year and a year after that to continue showing that there is still potential there. Like teams might be willing to cut bait a lot quicker just because they
1: need that spot for the next kid coming out of the draft. Yeah, my impression, and maybe some of our longtime listeners or listeners within the baseball industry would correct me on this, but my impression is that scaling back 20 years ago or so, or further certainly, that the approach to player development was basically let's throw a few hundred players in these minor league affiliates, have them play each other for a few seasons, and we'll see who's good. You know, we'll see who who performs and who doesn't, and that obviously worked for a time, but There are better ways to do it, more sophisticated ways to do it. And when you look at the changes happening now between a 2020 season with no minor league baseball and then 2021 and beyond with reduced minor league baseball, it's going to change player development even further from what it is today. And today, it's already changed a lot from what it was 10 years ago, without a doubt. But I think those changes are going to continue, and really, it's going to continue to look a lot different than it is right now, even.
0: Yeah, baseball is going to be a lot different going forward, just as all of our lives it's going to be a lot different going forward, hopefully different in some progressive ways, in some ways that are good for players, good for athletes, and some ways to just get us some baseball back soon. Because I like... Beyond all this, like, like I want athletes to get paid and I want the players to get what they deserve. And, I, and, you know, I don't want players to have to put themselves at a level of risk that they're uncomfortable with and this, that and the other. More than anything, I just want baseball back.
1: Yeah, of course. And you kind of <laughs> realize as I've, I've gone through various sports documentaries, like the F1 documentary or the Jordan documentary, then I started like searching through these like soccer documentaries and I realized I have no interest in them. And I'm kind of like, all right, this is time. Like, it is at the point where I'm like, I could use some live sports. I could use, of course, Major League Baseball. I think it will be here before long. Who knows what form it takes, but I think we'll be seeing it, you know, within six weeks or so. We might be talking about real games.
0: He's Ben Nicholson Smith. You can get him on Twitter at B Nicholson Smith. My name's Arden Zwelling. I'm on Twitter at Arden Zwelling. Special thanks as always to our producer, Christian Ryan, on Twitter at Christian Ryan NS. Thank you to all of you for listening. We'll talk to you next week on at the letters.